Good afternoon, Dan Guerra here from Authentic Biochemistry Podcast Studios in the Pacific Northwest. Today is indeed also still the 27th of October, 2022. So this is part uh, two of our discussion. We started off talking about the electrochemical potential electron transport chain just a few hours ago. And I was going to lead into a story about cholesterol biogenesis and transport and its association with membrane uh, bioenergetics and also pathology. And I want to go back and make sure we clearly describe cholesterol metabolism, because I would imagine most of you are not aware of this, particularly in light of all the subcellular distribution of the pathways. So we're going to do a nice prenal biosynthesis and ketogenesis uh, lecture right now, and then we'll be able to get to those papers that have just been published. So let's get this going here. Now, <clears throat> triacylglycerol can have multiple fates, but during fasting, triacylglycerol is broken down by tag lipases. Those lipases will generate free fatty acid. Free fatty acid can be eventually esterified to coenzyme A, and then through the carnitine palmitoyl transferases 1 and 2, uh, move through the mitochondrial uh, outer and then inner membrane, make it into the mitosol, where the uh, acyl group will be re-esterified to coenzyme A, because CoA cannot pass through the membrane, as I've mentioned multiple times too. <clears throat> and then acyl-CoA's will be beta-oxidized. And after beta oxidation, if this is a if this is in the liver, these are mitochondria in the liver, that uh, acetyl CoA will be used during fasting or long term starvation for the production of ketone bodies, which are acetoacetate and beta hydroxybutyrate. So that's ketogenesis. You get beta oxidation and ketogenesis and that fatty acid. Same time, the glycerol from the complete removal of all three fatty acids from triacylglycerol, will be converted to glycerol-3-phosphate via multiple actions of the glycerol kinase. Um, then upon um, oxidation, the glycerol-3-phosphate uh, via the dehydrogenase, NAD-dependent dehydrogenase, will make dihydroxyacetone phosphate. And from there, um, you can start making carbohydrate because that dihydroxyacetone uh, phosphate then is in isomerase equilibrium with glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate. And then you can run it back through gluconeogenesis and make glucose. That's the only carbon in triacylglycerol that can make glucose. All the fatty acid carbon, which is the bulk of triacylglycerol in terms of mass, cannot be used to make carbohydrate in animal systems. Uh, <coughs> so you're going to make ketone bodies. Okay, so I'm not going to do much about beta oxidation because that's not what we're dealing with. So I just wanted to get you to that point. Now, I want you to also remember there's a difference between mitochondria that are found in the liver of the mammal versus the muscle or the brain or indeed other tissues. So in the liver mitochondria, 
fatty acids, and even some amino acids, which are ketogenic, can be broken down into acetyl-CoA. Acetyl-CoA can go through that reaction ketophilase to make acetoacetyl-CoA, and then react with one more molecule of acetyl-CoA via the HMG-CoA synthase, uh, and the products are hydroxymethylglutyryl-CoA, as HMG-CoA, and uh, frequency of A reduced. Then the next reaction is the key one we're going to look at in some detail. Hydroxymethylglutyryl-CoA lyase will remove acetyl-CoA, and it will generate acetoacetate. You can see this is ketogenesis. The acetoacetate can then be reduced to beta-hydroxybutyrate uh, via dehydrogenase, which is NADH-dependent. And both acetoacetate and hydroxybutyrate are the ketone bodies that can then circulate in the bloodstream. Now, ketone bodies, once they're taken up by muscle, brain, or other tissues, will then first convert beta-hydroxybutyrate via the reverse of the reaction we just went through, the beta-hydroxybutyrate dehydrogenous, NADH-dependent, and will make acetoacetate. Acetoacetate then will react with succinyl-CoA in the thiophorase enzyme to make acetoacetyl-CoA. Then the ketothiolase will pick up free reduced coenzyme A and pick, and then the product of that reaction are two acetyl-CoAs, which can then enter the TCA cycle and then be used for energy production because of the TCA cycle functioning to generate NADH and FADH2, something we talked about in the electron transport chain story. Now, <clears throat> another fate of acetyl-CoA, of course, is biosynthetic and now anabolic. So acetyl-CoA, when it's generated from the TCA cycle, citrate leaving the TCA cycle because of high levels of a ratio NADH to NAD, thus blocking the dehydrogenases in the TCA cycle, um, that citrate will leave the mitochondria, and there's a mitochondrial membrane enzyme called ATP citrate lyase, which will generate acetyl-CoA and oxaloacetic acid in the cytoplasm. Now, that acetyl-CoA will be used for lipogenesis, because remember the TCA cycle already has high levels of NADH, that's why those dehydrogenases are blocked. And because of that, this is not a, a cell that's trying to make ATP. It, what the cell is doing is making triacylglycerol and phospholipid uh, and uh, cholesterol. Why is it making all this lipid? Well, it's gotta make phospholipids, including phospholipids and sphingolipids. So it can be prepared for making new membrane, for example, during cell cycle, when the cell is ready to divide for a mitotic division. But also you have to make cholesterol for all those membranes that you need all those lipids for. So you need to make fatty acids and cholesterol. And then you have complex lipid synthesis and you're ready to make new membranes. Now the cell does this all the time anyways. It's not an off and on situation. Because I told you the membranes turn over rapidly, so you have to make new membrane lipids, okay? So <clears throat> here is the slow version, slow motion version of how you take acetyl-CoA 
cytosolic from citrate because of that ratio of NADH to NAD blocking the dehydrogenase in the TCF cycle and converted into prenal lipids. So acetyl-CoA is first converted to, after a couple of steps now, hydroxymethylglutyryl-CoA. And then the enzyme of importance here is the HMG-CoA reductase, which happens to be the target for statin drugs. The first product, that the HMG-CoA reductase, is going to be mevalonic acid. And then mevalonic acid is converted to mevalonate pyrophosphate, which is converted to isopentanyl pyrophosphate, which can be isomerized to dimethyl allyl pyrophosphate. Remember this from the end of last lecture, a few hours back. Both IPP and DMPP then can condense to make geranyl pyrophosphate. That's a C10 prenyl lipid. Geranyl pyrophosphate then can pick up five more carbons from IPP and make farnesyl pyrophosphate, that's C15. Now the uh, pathway gets rather complex. Farnesyl phosphate can go through a transprenyl transferase to make a geranyl geranyl phosphate, which can be converted to ubiquinone. The GGP, geranyl geranyl phosphate, can also be used to make geranyl geranylated polypeptides, which are proteins you often find in the membrane. Farnesyl pyrophosphate can also go through squalene synthase to make squalene and then cholesterol, or through a cisprenyl transferase to make dolichol, and that's the glycoprotein pathway in the ER, remember the dolichol pyrophosphate, to make glycoproteins and also some glycolipids in the, in the ER. And one more use for farnesyl pyrophosphate is to do the protein prenal transferase to make farnesylated polypeptides. And those are also found in the membrane. Very important for signal transduction cascades, etc. So <clears throat> keep in mind that that first reaction of acetoacetyl-CoA and acetyl-CoA is a hydrolytic reaction because you're removing coenzyme A to make 3-hydroxy-3-methylglutyryl-CoA. So that's the HMG-CoA synthase. Once you make HMG-CoA, depends on where it's synthesized. So in the mitochondrion, we just explained to you, it could be used for ketogenesis, pathway I just went through. In com subcellular compartments, including the cytoplasm, sensu stricto, you can convert HMG-CoA to mevalonic acid, and that's via the HMG-CoA reductase, remember, the target of statin drugs. Okay. Now, there are multiple reactions to make cholesterol. There's a lot of ATP required in this pathway. Ultimately, the first stable product after you move through geranyl pyrophosphate and farnesyl pyrophosphate is squalene. Right? And squalene is a C30 uh, prenolipid. Squalene then can be utilized to make lanosterol after um, three reactions. And lanosterol can be converted 19 steps later by losing some, car losing some carbon via CO2 loss and uh, also um, formic acid 
actually, to make cholesterol. That's the membrane lipid cholesterol. Now, this is where we got to last time. And let me go slowly through this because now I'm going to do a subcellular synthesis of what I just explained to you. We already explained that fatty acid oxidation in the mitochondria will generate acetyl-CoA. And via the reactions of acetyl-CoA thiolase and the HMG-CoA synthase and then the HMG-CoA lyase, you make acetoacetate. And then you also you can make beta-hydroxybutyrate from that, right? Now, that's all mitochondrial. Now, cytoplasmic acetyl-CoA, and you know where that comes from from the mitochondria, ATP citrate lyase, right? <clears throat> that acetyl-CoA can be converted to acetoacetyl-CoA. And then in the endoplasmic reticulum, HMG-CoA reductase can make mevalonic acid. So HMG-CoA reductase, there's an isoform of the enzyme in the ER, okay? Now, mevalonic acid can then move to, via bulk transport, to the peroxisome. Now, the peroxisome is even more complicated than that. You can, you can translocate mevalonic acid from the ER to the peroxisome. But you can also synthesize mevalonic acid de novo. How does that work? Okay, so this is going to be the same um, series of reactions we just went through for cholesterologenesis. But what is the substrate? Well, the substrate is very long-chain fatty acids and simply long-chain fatty acids and even dicarboxylic acids that move, move through an ABCD transporter into the peroxisome. Now, these very long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids are things like the omega-3 and the omega-6. I told you there's a turnover of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids of, say, eicosapentaenoic, docosahexaenoic for the omega-3, and arachidonate, and to some extent DPA, docosapentaenoic, omega-6 variety, all in the membrane, the plasma membrane. So remember, the peroxisome was involved in, yeah, it makes hydrogen peroxide, <clears throat> but it, because that's that's because of lipid metabolism, okay? So the primary purpose of a peroxisome, well, one of the primary purposes is to remove very long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids before they become auto-oxidized or oxygenated in the membrane, thus corrupting the membrane. That's why there's turnover of membrane lipids, okay? And that's why you have essential in the diet the precursors to these very long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids, linoleic and alpha-linolenic acid, which uh, linoleic is the precursor to the omega-6 series, and alpha-linolenic is the precursor to the omega-3 series. That's why you need essential, and you have no way to synthesize because you know those double, you can't place those double bonds in that 18-carbon fatty acid and the 20-carbon fatty acid in the same way that a uh, plant or microbe can do it. So the essential fatty acid, again, linoleic and alpha-linoleic. So anyways, you take these very long-chain fatty acids, you break them down into acetyl-CoA in the peroxisome. Okay. Now, same reactions. Acetoacetyl-CoA thiolase, HMG-CoA synthase will make hydroxymethyl-luteral-CoA. The reductase will make mevalonic acid in the peroxisome. But you also can translocate 
mevalonate synthesized de novo in the ER from the reductase. Okay, so there's an ER isoform of the reductase, and there is a peroxisomal isoform of the, of the reductase. Both cases, you have mevalonic acid, which can become phosphorylated and pyrophosphorylated. And then you have isopentanyl pyrophosphate after the decarboxylation of the six carbon mevalonic acid, the five carbon IPP. Remember, you have that uh, isomerase between isopentanyl pyrophosphate and dimethyl allyl pyrophosphate. Now, as it turns out, the isopentanyl pyrophosphate, it's made in the peroxisome will be used to make isopentanyl transfer RNA, which is essential for the correct functioning of protein synthesis. So there's a very important prenolipid, sort of in the middle of the pathway, right? Right after mevalonic 5-pyrophosphate, uh, it's necessary for protein translation because you have to make isopentanyl tRNA. But let's continue on the pathway. Once you make farnesyl pyrophosphate, okay, in the peroxisome, that far, that's a C15 compound, that can go on to be used to do the farnesylation of proteins, and it, can, and it can also be used as precursor to make geronyl, geronylated uh, uh, polypeptides, right? Also, farnesyl pyrophosphate can be used to make dolichol, heme A, and ubiquinone, which is important in the electron transport chain, right? Coenzyme Q. Okay. Now, continuing along with pharnesyl pyrophosphate, back in the ER now, you can finish the cholesterol biosynthesis. So when they say cholesterol biosynthesis is in the cytoplasm, it's actually in the ER and the peroxisome. Okay. <laughs> so. You go through the squalene, squalene epoxide, linosterol, finally making cholesterol in the ER. You finish those reactions there. Once you make cholesterol, of course, that will go directly to membrane lipid rafts. It will be used for steroidogenesis. It will be used to manufacture the lipoproteins for translocation out of the cell. And also cholesterol can be used for protein modification. Yes, it can. Now, cholesterol isn't done there. From the ER, you have bile acid synthesis in the mammalian liver. And again, that's going to make these C27 bile acid intermediates. Those are going to translocate also back into the peroxisome, where you're going to make shorter chain bile acids. Then you're going to conjugate them in the peroxisome, and they're going to be excreted in the bile. Okay, that's a peroxisomal event, the last part of bile acid synthesis. I also talked about cholesterologenesis. Remember, we discussed there are proteins that are in the endomembranous system, which act as transcription factors to regulate the expression of enzymes like HMG-CoA reductase for cholesterologenesis and the protein, low-density lipoprotein receptor, okay, transcripts for that. And that whole pathway then allows for cholesterol genesis de novo internal to the cell, and then the uptake of cholesterol from low-density lipoprotein trafficking. Okay, so <clears throat> that whole pathway 
has to do with the stale response element binding protein, or SREBP. So there's an SREBP2, and the precursor SREBP2 is embedded as an inactive transcription factor in the endoplasmic reticulum. In the presence of cholesterol, high levels of, of cholesterol, and hydroxysterols, which are a catabolic product of those of cholesterol. And for example, they can include 25-hydroxycholesterol, which is actually an intermediate vitamin D biosynthesis, 27-hydroxycholesterol. Those are a couple of hydroxysterols, there's many more. The protein called SCAP, in conjunction with the SREBP2, will be retained in the ER because though that poly, those two proteins will then be held in the ER by interacting with another protein in the ER membrane called INSIG. Now, cholesterol binds to SCAP and induces a conformational change in that SCAP through which it binds to the INSIG. So that's how it's held in the ER. Hydroxysterols bind to the NSIG and cause the NSIGs to bind to the SCAP, to the SCAP. See? Now, in the absence of sterols, NSIGs will dissociate from the SCAP protein, all again the ER membrane, whereupon the NSIGs will become ubiquitinylated, polyubiquitinylated, and degraded in the proteasome. So you've, rem you've removed the inhibitor protein from the ER completely. What you're left with then is the SCAP, as that is the SCAP, and then the sterile response element binding protein 2 complex. That gets loaded into a COP2-coated vesicle. And that coated vesicle gets vectorially transported to the Golgi. And within the Golgi, the SREBP is processed sequentially by two different proteases. They're called site one, site two proteases. And they will release, release the amino terminal transcription factor domain of that binding protein. And that will enter the nucleus, now that it has that molecular signature. And it will transactivate the sterile regulatory element containing genes, the SRE. Okay, and that's how you induce cholesterologenesis. Because you're gonna, what do you guess our e genes are? I just told you, HMG coi reductase is one of them. LDLR is another. Okay. Now, again, keep in mind the cytoplasm sensu stricto also has an HMG coi reductase, the peroxisomal uh, HMG coi reductase is the one that be, believed to be the most important for cholesterologenesis, but the cytosol will also synthesize cholesterol. Likewise, the cytosol also has an isoform of the HMG-CoA lyase. So you're able to break down hydroxymethylglutyl-CoA to ketone bodies in the cytoplasm. You can break down HMG-CoA to a ketone body in the peroxisome, but both of those subcellular locations are also where you have an HMG-CoA reductase. So that means you can make 
de novo cholesterol in the cytoplasm or in the peroxisome. Likewise, you can be ketogenic in the cytoplasm or the peroxisome. It depends on the expression of a specific enzymes, the reductase versus the lyase, and that depends on the energetic state of a cell, which is an equivalency of control over the TCA cycle and ultimately the electron transport chain and oxidative phosphorylation. Okay, so you see where these multiple pathways are integrated, okay? And the fact that there are lyases and reductases for hydroxymethylglutarylcholine, both the peroxisome and the cytosol, suggests that they have different discrete and specific functions. Right? Now, my guess is that cholesterologenesis in the cytosol might be more important for generating intermediates such as the farnesyl pyrophosphate, the geronogerinyl pyrophosphate, to be used directly to covalently modify proteins to be triggered for synthesis in the ER eventually to go to the plasma membrane. Okay, so you get farnesylated proteins and geronogerinylated proteins, right? Whereas I think the peroxisomal pathway, and it's been shown clearly, will take that mevalonic acid all the way to cholesterol. But you can also make mevalonic, you can also make cholesterol in cytoplasm. Now, the liver mitochondria, remember, is mostly involved in either ketogenesis or, well, the, the liver mitochondria almost always ketogenesis, not, ket not ketone body utilization, except in very rare instances, not usually hepatocytes, but supporting cells in the liver. So the liver mitochondria are primarily a uh, ketogenic utilization of acetylcholine. Remember the cytoplasm, you can use it to synthesize fatty acids and cholesterol. And then you remember about the extra hepatic mitochondria being ketone body utilization pathways, right? Sure. Okay. So coenzyme Q, which is important in complex two. Well, between complex one and complex two and complex three to deliver electrons generated from either succinate dehydrogenase, the FADH2 pathway, or from the NADH oxidoreductase, which is complex one. Remember that coenzyme Q is that prenal lipid intermediate, right? And of course, it's absolutely important for the electron transport chain because it provides not only the conduit to move electrons through the ETC within the lipid matrix because coenzyme Q is a prenal lipid, so it moves freely through the hydrophobic interior of the membrane. It also acts as an antioxidant, so it has both functions in the mitochondria. Okay. So if you get a coenzyme Q10 deficiency, which can occur chronically as you age, but it's also found in certain pathophysiologies, such as cardiovascular disease, a decrease in coenzyme Q production. Now, isn't it usually older people who are prescribed statin drugs? If you're prescribed a statin drug, you're going to block HMG-CoA reductase 
which means you're not going to make coenzyme Q. So it's a double negative in terms of pathophysiology for older people that are on statins or diabetics that are on statins because you're losing the ability to synthesize de novo coenzyme Q and you're, uh, naturally because as you age, those enzymes are not as expressed at the high enough levels. But the other problem is that if you take a statin, it will block the pathway. So that's why there is coenzyme Q supplementation. So it turns out cardiovascular disease people have low coenzyme Q10, diabetics, metabolic syndrome patients, as well as people that are simply on statin drugs. Okay? That's a very important consideration. So coenzyme Q is a not the target for statins. So in order to take statins, people have to supplement with coenzyme Q because coenzyme Q is vital for mitochondrial electron transport and therefore bioenergetics, okay? So now you, now you see how cholesterologenesis is associated with the bioenergetic capacity of the mitochondrion in terms of coenzyme Q10, but also the components of the pathways will center around either the mitochondrion, which is primarily a ketogenic or ketoutilization organelle, but that you do have synthesis of HMG-CoA in the mitochondrion, and that the cytoplasmic HMG-CoA synthesis and the peroxisomal HMG-CoA synthesis, which is also the result of mitochondrial bioenergetics, that is the shutting down the TCA cycle, it's going to contribute to the production of cholesterol. So now you see a true integration of metabolism that is membrane uh, important. Bye for now.